So I knew that there was an opportunity for me to make money while I'm partying. Guess what? And that just became, you know, the entryway to failure. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back. Another episode of the Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. I'm excited today. We're going to be talking about automations. We're talking about chatbots. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. We're also going to talk about a lot of stories in the past that got us there. Today is brought to you by what's called our Move 30, Entrepreneur Strong. It is a momentum system for business owners to level up. I am excited today to introduce you to the man, Danny Monsoon. How you doing, dude? Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. I am ready. I've been looking forward to this conversation the entire day. That's cool, man. That's cool. Where, where are you out of right now? So right now I am in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I'm at the home that I've been sharing with uh, my housemate now uh, for a few months uh, with my old pup and my new pup. Uh, so uh I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, but I'm originally from New York City. I, that's where I grew up. But I was born before that in Latin America, in a country ah. in the north of South America called Colombia. That's where I was born. That is very cool, man. Colombia has always been a place that I'd love to I'd love to go to. It looks like a fascinating place, a lot of history. I think that'd be really cool to go back there. So the journey, though, took you to a lot of different things, right? Took you into business, kind of took you to different different things. And the, a yeah. lot of the stuff that we talk about here uh, on Moved and a lot of the people that follow us here is we'd like to talk about the journey of how we got here. And then mm -hmm. we'd like to talk of some skills that we've acquired. Um, I did notice that you had mentioned you were in New York. There's a lot yeah. going on in New York, isn't there right now? Oh, man, uh, so many things, uh, not just right now, but uh, when I got there, right? So, again, the journey takes me to New York City back in 1990. That's when I arrived to New York as a teenager. I was 12, but uh, as, a, as a young boy uh, from Colombia, knew very little English, but I was just so happy to be riding my skateboard in the streets of Queens, New York. Do you remember uh, coming to America? That's scene where Queens and it's cold and they're lighting yeah. fires yeah. in the, you know, in the alleyways. Yeah. Well, that is not so far fetched to wow. the type of uh, environment where I grew up. Wow. Was it in an environment of, uh, you know, finding solutions to things and kind of fast pace? Was it? Very fast yes. paced. Oh, very, very interesting. And did that did that start any kind of entrepreneurial? Were you around business owners as a as a young guy? So not at all. I was involved, or did I grow up in a family where business was our oh. pedigree or our you know our bloodline? Yeah. Uh, totally the opposite, right? So yeah. The reason why my parents agreed to relocate from Colombia to New York, of, of course, late 80s, I'm not as young as I look. So late 80s, uh, you know, there was a lot of unrest in Colombia and uh, things were getting very, very hard. So my family decided, you know what, we're not going to, you know, raise our kids here. And, you know, uh, me and my brother, he's uh, he's a uh, 
five years younger. So they decided, let's go up north, right? Where, you know, the American dream, the, you know, this, uh, this lifestyle where, you know, things could be possible. And, uh, and so we did, right? So a lot of things were happening back then. A lot of unknowns, right? A lot of um, changes, like uh, the school environment. Now it was different, and uh, and all the challenges and opportunities that came about. So yeah, New York City ain't no city like it. No, I don't. I don't think so, man. I don't. I don't think that there is. Did you? Did you end up evolving through business and and at, at an age there in New York? Did you find yourself maybe doing some kind of any form of transaction at a young age yeah yes you know i'm glad you mentioned this um because it's not every time that i get to you know rewind and really you know reconnect with uh with those with those moments right so some of the moments you know they weren't aha moments i have this idea and i'm gonna make money they were more like oh shoot my mom is not gonna give me no money to go out with my girl or to you know yeah. to rock the nice starter hat yeah. or the nice you know Nike Air you know whatever mm -hmm. shoes that were in style right now it was me saying I gotta make some money yeah. right I'm the oldest guy you know in in the household right um my dad he stayed behind but so I was the older brother. And, uh, and I saw the need, right? I saw the need to make money and I saw opportunity, right? So I, I you know, I, shoveling snow in the winter, we would love, we didn't like the snow as much as the kids, um, maybe, uh, across the, 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 um, the train tracks did because we would work. Right. So we would like the snow not to go play and take, you know, pictures and, you know, build a snowman, but we would get to make money. Right. We would get to go to the nice neighborhoods and say, hey, kind of shovel your driveway and put a price tag in it to it and do that in the wintertime. And in the summertime, you're going to laugh at this, the baseball cards. I mean, a lot of us yeah. kids in New York were trading baseball cards. We understood how some pieces of cardboard with a you know a, a good baseball player meant you know a few hundred bucks maybe a little more than that you know things that were like whoa then I started uh, realizing that there's an opportunity here to make some money to trade some cards and uh, you know in the summertime and sneak into Shea Stadium and also in the wintertime to you know to make some money shoveling snow so that was my early beginnings are you know it's let's really make some money the honest way listening to your story, there's a couple things here. And, and I've been working with current clients and talking with them about these two things. And I think there's a great example here that's happening. One is, uh, I had someone tell me that, how do you explain value? And um, I, I was an interesting conversation, because we all think of things differently. But many times, it's a transaction. And the first one that you did had a transaction of I could solve your problem. Right? The first one was I could actually shovel the snow. And now you're not going to have snow, cold, ridden, whatever, icy driveway. So you you solve a, a convenience of time. And so they exchange something of value. I don't know. They probably gave you $3 at the time, right? <laughs> like, I'll take it. I think it was like more like 20 bucks. I don't well, think we were that bucks. cheap. <laughs> you had yourself a good day. All right, good. But you, you, they knew that the time yeah. for the transaction was worth $20 of time. 
yeah. than for them to go and do it in exchange. And then the, the second thing that you had brought up, what I thought was kind of interesting because they're both two forms of transactions. The second one was baseball cards. And the thing about baseball cards is there's already a perceived, right? Yes. Um, you would yeah. say a, a perceived lack of them, right? Scarcity because mm -hmm. there's only so many of them. And yep. then the market dictates what something has of value. Yep. And then if somebody wants, they see a little more value than you, then you make the margin in that. And I thought that it was kind of a good um, opportunity to, to take those two examples that you did when you were yes. younger, that those yes. are still valid today and finding, do you have something that is already declared a value and you exchange that for something more of value, maybe a cost of goods. And then the other one is I can actually labor or I have a system to save you time. So I thought that was yeah. a, an interesting time. So now, so now you're in a place in your life, you've done some of those things. You've had some fun with baseball cards are like the stock market for kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so then you kind of go into that. And then, and then did you start something after that? Did you go into sales? What was the, what was the next piece for you? Did you get educated? What would what, you do? Yeah, no. So uh, my my next, I guess, I guess we've been sales men and sales women uh, since the beginning, right? As, as, as young human beings, right? As we try to sell our, our parents into going places, into buying us things, into throwing tantrums, into, you know, setting up mom because dad said, no, you know, we've been, you know, we've been selling stuff, right? So but again, I wasn't able to quantify, you know, what you just mentioned. I was trading some labor for some, for some, uh, for in an exchange, in a transaction, then uh, the perceived value of a baseball card, you know, those things to this day, to this day, they are fundamentals that cannot be debated, right? To this day, crypto is a, you know, perceived value, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and labor, of course, that's the oldest, I, as far as I understand, uh, exchange of, of, of value. So, so yeah, so after that, uh, let's see, I was a salesperson without, you know, quantifying it this way. I sold my mother, single mom, into I'm quitting school. Mm. And that was, let's just say that I just did it and then I sold her into it. <laughs> right and i was not a bad student i was not the bully although i got bullied a little bit and then you know growing up you became you know the one who sometimes you know starts stirs up the you know the the pot but uh but i was not the troublemaker or the guy who you know um got kicked out of school although i did get kicked out of school not because of my behavior or my trouble, um, you know, youth, uh, but because I was not interested in the things they were teaching me. And in my senior year, you know, this was my senior year by all means, you know, uh, I, because I wasn't interested and I wasn't applying myself, my school said, you know what, we're, we're kicking you out, but we'll give you one more chance, right? Mm -hmm. So bring your mom you know, this and that, whatever, you know, we'll give you one more chance. Guess what? I blew my second chance of being, you know, or, or finishing my senior year. So I 
my mom, she cannot uh, complain anymore, but that was a tough sell for her, you know, as a, as a, as an immigrant from Colombia coming to the United States, you know, it was work hard, get good grades, get a scholarship, make it happen, send money back to Colombia, all those things. And I broke that cycle, but almost, almost like it was, um, from listening and, and, and hearing and learning from you just in your voice and I think what you're saying is as a family, as an immigrant family coming here, there's almost like it was almost like a, a, a building block. If you go do this and you do this and you do this, then this is going to be your outcome. And this is where we're going to get to go if we do these things. And yeah. with with chaos everywhere else, it probably <laughs> felt good to say this is all you have to do and we're going to be OK. Go do that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. So my mom, you know, single yeah. mom in New York. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a teenager sure. now. Not, not. I'm sure. not 12 or 13. Now yeah. I'm 17. Mm-hmm. I you know I, I'm, I'm requiring a little bit more of guidance and yes. somewhat I rejected, yeah. you know, when that came about. So my mother was concerned, right? My mom was concerned in my, in my defense. I can quantify now that as the old guy, I was concerned with my mother coming home every single afternoon and counting her tips, Mm. you know, single dollars. She was a waitress. You know, she had she left a good job in Colombia to come here and wait Mm. tables, but Mm. she was counting dollars and sometimes cents, you know, every single day. And me as a young boy, the oldest one out of, you know, me and my brother, I said to myself, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, I said, you know what? I can make some money out there and help my mom. Mm. You know, I can, you know, I can sacrifice, you know, getting in trouble or maybe being, but, you know, if I come home with some groceries and my, you know, some, some, some nice clothes, nobody's going to question me that. Right. Maybe, maybe she did a few times, (laughs) but, but, but in, in, in a sense, my brother, my little brother, he wanted to go to school. He wanted to go to college. And that also to me was like, you know what, mom, I can I can help my you pay for my brother's college. You know, that became almost like a selling point, like a selling line to like, holy shit, I, I freaking just quit school. I better freaking show up with some money. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that was uh, that was a little bit of that transition. You know, now I'm in the real world. No high school diploma, sure. a GED. I, you know, I passed, you know, flying stars because I wasn't a bad student, but now I'm in the real world. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of those experiences. I went through those as well. And then you're in the real, the real world. You make a couple deals. Um, did, did you find yourself going after the whole digital experience right away? Or did you catch on to that a little bit after AOL? That was a little bit after, although when AOL, you got mail, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I- I'm so familiar with the CDs and, you know, that whole, you know, chat room and the connectivity, you know, CD-ROM. Uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And so when that came about, I-, I had an interest. I didn't have a computer. I had a girlfriend who had a computer. Yeah. Right. So I used to go to her house and mingle and, you know, hang out with her brother and, you know, kind of like. 
discover chat rooms. And, you know, back then it was ASL, right? Age, sex, location, right? When we were getting to know each other, you know, person, yeah. you know, person to person yeah. across, you know, a chat room. I'm very familiar with that. And although I didn't center my, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I did have an interest in that, you know, communication, kind of like, you know, oh, here's where I get to meet some people and maybe even some girls and, you know, some, you know, conversations that I get to nurture, right? I get to have an identity that is not my first name and last name. It's kind of like, you know, it's my nickname and and kind of build that persona around that, right? I, I had a, a very early interest in that, although I was waiting tables just like my mom, because guess what? Here comes a, you know, a very very eye-opening moment in my life that led me to where I'm at, where I'm at today. I wanted to work. And I soon realized that I could not work a legal job in the United States because I did not have the documentation that allowed me to do so. So I didn't have a visa. I didn't have a social security card. And I was like, oh, I need that stuff. Wow. Oh, I came as a tourist to go to Disney World, which I never did. <laughs> and we got to stay. That was the plan of a lot of families, wow. you know, from I don't care where in the world you came from, yeah. but which I don't condone or I don't, you know, um, sponsor that ideal yeah. nowadays. Uh, but that was my story, you know, and I don't blame my parents for doing so. I was out of status. I was like, what? Wow. I can't get a job. I wow. can't even like, what do you mean? You know, I had to get this, you know, explained to me a few times, even by some friends like, oh, dude, you got to have a social. What do you mean you have a social security card? <laughs> no, I don't. So that was a pivotal point to me to say, yeah. oh, I can't go and get a job. Yeah, I might as well be a job provider or a business owner, right? Got so it. guess what? I rented boots at uh, flea markets. Got now it. I'm not the kid trading cards, but I have, you know, maybe a section with baseball cards, a section with comic books, a section with, you know, with ice cold soda, you know, and that's how I made the money, you know, to really, you know, understand the grind, understand rejection, understand dealing, understand, you know, uh, um, supply and demand, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, so and, you, so, and then I got so, me, you know, the jobs that a lot of a lot of people in that yeah. situation or even, you know, single moms or, or students take. Right. Be, you know, wait tables. You pay, yeah. get paid cash at the end of the day. You have cash all day, all, you know, every single day because you're, you know, you're working on tips. So restaurants, bars. Right. And that's when it, that's when I became acquainted to the club industry of New York City. Yeah. Yeah. It, the 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 evolution that you take and you you know you obviously you talk about the nightclub and and of the um of new york obviously that's the nightlife um but as you went through that process did you find yourself enjoying communication because of the the, the trail we're chasing right now as you ended up doing automations and and chat and those kind of things um did you find yourself on this road and journey following communication as something that was part of like this major in your head, I guess you would follow. 
Well, in, in, in a way, it became, uh, as you know, New York City is probably the advertising mecca of the world, right? In Times Square, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, a little town up north in New York State, but really, you know, the five boroughs, right? Um, being just inundated with ads, with, uh, you know, with billboards, with uh, even you know, people in the streets selling scarves and gloves or or try to scam you, you know, for something, right? Uh, I, I was immersed in that. So in a way, it's like I was not being so aware that, okay, so communications and chat automation is really what I want to steer my, my ship. I, not at all, not at all. But it was mostly, it was mostly, um, I knew now, Two languages. I, I never, I never uh, stopped speaking Spanish in New York City. You have a lot of friends who speak Spanish, and we, you know, we get to practice a lot more than here in where I am in Florida. But I then understood something. I have a little bit of an advantage, where in New York, you know, the dog eat dog world. Mm. The you know, I'm gonna step over you to get to where I want to get. You know, that type of mentality. And as a foreigner, feeling diminished and more diminished and more diminished because of opportunity, bullying, discrimination, whatever it was, plus all these other limiting beliefs that weren't even real in my growing up, I said to myself, well, what am I good at? Hmm. What, what can I be good at where all my, all, some other friends are not good at? Sure. And that was translating. Oh, this lady doesn't speak English when she wants to buy something. Oh, let me let me translate for her, or vice versa at the hospital gotcha. when somebody sure. wanted. So I knew that I knew Spanish, and that which led me to feel um, out of place and maybe you know segregated and ashamed of because I had an accent became my superpower. Yeah. And uh, so communication, in a way, needed to be, you know, I I wanted to be expressive. I don't know if you have noticed, but I like to express myself the best as I can in both languages without hammering them too much. I love to, you know, that, uh, you know, expressing myself, writing, you know, lyrics to maybe songs that I never sang or that will never be sang uh, or poems or, you know, maybe being going through a hard, you know, situation and just put it in writing I like that expression of of self that, uh, in a way, felt understood even with myself in a place where I wasn't being very understood. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that you were probably in a position where you had an asset at that time, and so that allows you to say, "Wow, people could use me for this asset," which is an, which could be in some form of a transaction as well. Um, what brought you into the internet? What brought you into the computer age? That's uh, that 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 that's that's where I weave in the you know all of these things, right? So the the need to express myself, the 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 ability to connect with not only people in Spanish but also in English, uh, and now I'm being thrown in this environment where I need to make it happen without you know papers, you know. But you know, I just like every. Um, more or most uh, kids out there in New York found uh, other ways of expressing and 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 um, I guess masking some pain. Right? There were there were there were painful moments. There were moments where I you know I missed my dad. There was moments that you know that I blamed my dad. 
uh, or myself, whatever it was. Right. And so we found partying, right? So we found like, okay, the going out, the social atmosphere in New York City. There's always something to do in New York City. There's like, right. if you get bored in New York City, I mean, there's uh, right. there's something special with you. But uh, there was always something to do. And in that realm of like, you know what, I want to go and I'm going to, you know, that's when I started drinking maybe a little bit, you know, behind schedule or ahead of schedule. But um, it was then where I saw people in the in 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 clubs in the bigger, you know, back then was the Copacabana and uh, the tunnel. I didn't make it to Studio 54. I'm not that old. But uh, some big dance floors that, you know, to this day, they have some some um, recognition in the in the in the party scene. I saw people making money. Right. I saw people, you know, whether they were, you know, the, the bartender or the guy at the door, you know, and I saw the promoters who were the promoters. The promoters were people who brought more people to the club, more people to the party that got paid for every single head that came under your guest list who said, hey, I'm here for Danny Nice. Danny Nice was my promoter's name. Every promoter had a cool name. Danny Nice was mine. So, hey, I'm here for Danny Nice's guest list. And so I knew that there was an opportunity for me to make money while I'm partying. Guess what? And that just became, you know, the entryway to failure in a way, because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give out my flyers in Times Square at three in the morning. It's freezing, but I'm going to, you know, get a lot of people to my party and just see these flyers fly, you know, across or like, you know, in the middle of the slush. And like, like, I'm like, oh, that's one less person that gets to use my name when they go to the party. And that was failure to the max. I needed to find a better way. In a way, I was spamming unsuspected passersby with my invitation just showing it in their face and they were like maybe they'll take you you know because yeah. i'm annoying or because you know they're respectful and then they just throw it out i was spamming people giving them what they didn't want at the time where they didn't want to be bothered you know in a most obnoxious way and i knew it that's when i said you know what remember those chat rooms remember you remember those websites? Mm. Oh, yeah, nightclubcity.com. Oh, yeah, clubplanet.com. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to scan. Remember the scan? I'm going to scan my invitation, and I'm going to publish it in these chat rooms. And guess what happened? That's when things started to just, like, happen. My phone was ringing. You know, people wanted to know where's the party at. I was promoting now not just one party, but three parties in one night at different locations in Manhattan, where at the end of the night, I would go cashing cash in there, cash in yeah. there, go have a shot here for free, meet some chicks, then go, you know, that was the life. That was the life. And I did that for four years, just making right. it happen. Danny Nice became sort of known in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the party scene. And, uh, and that brought uh, also some, some heartaches. So did you do, was this as a, as a business for you? Was it actually set up as a business or you just basically had relationships with each one of them and then you got paid on the back end commissions? Right. So, so there were different deals, right? So there were some big time promoters, right? Some, and I, you know, I like to introduce myself when I see somebody at the party who's I've been, you know, getting attention or, 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 it's uh, exhibiting some sort of success that I want to know about. You know, I go and I introduce myself. 
right? That's the very, you know, to this day, I've, I've forged uh, really meaningful, long-lasting relationships by saying, hey, I'm Danny, selfie, okay, bye, <laughs> yeah. and then nurturing that. But that was me back then. I would introduce myself. I introduced myself some, to some big promoters that I used to get to work underneath of them, mm -hmm. right? So obviously, they would take some of my pay, and that was the structure of the New York party scene. I mean, to this yeah. day, you know, is the, the, the pyramid, is the multi-level, is the, 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 you know, yeah. and and then then I then I had a team. Then I had a team of you know girls, you know, passing out flyers, and I had a team of you gotcha. know guys, you know, just you know bombing the you know the parking lot with flyers, things like that. Then I was online, so so it became from like a a a a, a, a gig a night to kind of like. Let's just say a, a, a small operation where I, you know, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would make some money, but then I still have my uh, job in in the daytime that I was able to score with some IDs that were in mind and some numbers that you know were in mind that you know, knock on wood, I don't condone that behavior, but I needed to do that to make ends meet, and I got me a job at a. Um, advertising firm right on Broadway where in the, in the mornings I would get exposed to some uh, persuasive copywriting to some data analytics right and then at nighttime I get to do the gorilla thing mm -hmm. where I learn other fundamentals that I would not be able to quantify as as I do now but the art of loyalty right having people come back and come back with your friends with their friends right? To identify who the top earners and the frequent buyers are, the frequent partiers, you know, in this, in this context and go and introduce myself. Now I'm not just like a name on a flyer, a name on the website. Now I'm yeah. a real human being. Hey, come see me if you need anything else, right? With a smile on my face, with a little, you know, a smirk in my face, say, Hey, if you need anything else, even if it's an extracurricular, you know, yeah. thing that you need, I'll point you the right direction. And now I'm coming point back and coming back and coming back. That was, uh, that was a uh, weaving into like the digital, the, you know, the guerrilla marketing and the, Hey, thanks for using my list, but please come back. And I'll give you a reason why to come back. I'll make you feel special and come out here and greet you and get to make you come back. So that is in essence, Part of what I do now, I specialize in retention strategies to sure. have to help e-commerce brands, uh, influencers, course creators have a person, you know, a, a acquire a new customer. But then guess what? At the end of that funnel, you know, top of funnel, at the end of that funnel, guess what? There's another pillar called retention that a lot of brands are not paying attention to. A lot of influencers are missing the mark. They're like, oh, conversion, conversion, conversion. But retention is probably the most powerful one because they can come back in an organic way. You don't have to advertise to those folks. The folks that you have converted into your brand ambassadors, they're the one amplifying your message. And that's, you know, that's in essence what I now uh, companies pay me for. So you use the same formula that you did kind of in the in the nightclub business. And basically they, they come and then you connect to them. Is that the, is that the model? It, it, it's 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 the it's the principle it's the it's the concept right it's uh and, and again we're, we're at the beginning of this podcast we we spoke about some timeless concepts right uh in marketing some of which will never change you know perceived value and the exchange of a monetary 
currency for labor, right? Th those will never change, right? Whether we're here or in the metaverse, that's never going to change, right? So loyalty became retention, right? Retention. So, so sure. um, yeah, I help. I work with brands who need to step it up a notch when it comes to retention. Sure. So when, when you look at the model that you're having the conversation with and somebody that's in there, it's an e-commerce business, right? Do you like, do you like them to have multiple products, multiple, multiple items, or do you like a single item? I like multiple ones because, uh, it's, uh, I, I think my mind, my, um, I think my brain is, is, is trained that way. I did, um, you know, there's a gap in between, you know, my digital, um, renaissance, if you will, uh, where for four years I did marketing for a multinational nutrition company, um, very successful company, uh, is still around uh, this day, but they were only promoting one, one brand of products, right? It was the, 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 the weight loss shakes and the, you know, the, uh, the energy drinks. And I got bored. I got bored just talking about the same thing over and over and over and over. So I like the variety. I like the variety, whereas I don't have to have one client specifically, you know, selling urban outwear in, you know, on Shopify, but I get, I get another, you know, um, team who is selling solar systems, you know, across the nation, you know, in both languages. So I like the variety because I get to learn from each um, vertical and, uh, and, and apply some of those timeless uh, concepts that will never change, but they change inside of that vertical, um, you know, the messaging and, you know, the target audience, et cetera, those things change, but the, the, the sequence of attention, conversation, conversion, and then retention, that doesn't change. So I, I love the variety. Uh, that was a kind of long, long-winded uh, uh, answer, but there are some other niches that I will never touch as well. I think retention is very an interesting conversation. I think that if you're going to have a business that has retention, you need to have something that has a reoccurring. So for example, a membership that they stay in, that they get the value over and over again. When it comes to e-commerce, um, uh, being in e-commerce myself, I spent many years in e-commerce. Um, you, what I found, and I think maybe you could agree with this, is that you can go in with a catalog way of doing things. Just say I'm in a, in a niche or like, you know, I'm, I'm in home kitchen or something like that right or i am in uh hunting and you would stay in that but then the other idea is that sometimes people have one product and i think that retention is it doesn't really matter and this was something that i had in a conversation with someone the other day and that was as long as you can sell them something else whatever you have eventually they may come by and buy another one from you or their product whatever they have may I don't want to say they use the word, use the word break, but I guess they could break, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, you need to get another one. But I think that retention has a lot to do with, can you get somebody to have a form of transaction with you? And that may be reading something that you have. They may be buying something as an accessory that might be buying an event, whatever that is to keep those people stuck to you is what's going to retain them. That's why a lot of like giveaways work, um, in in your in your local in your local or your local uh what's it called your personal customers um if you do giveaways in there you keep them sticky to you so what are some things in retention that you like to do that keep things sticky for them what are some things that you like to do 
Yes. So um, I recently was invited this past week, this past week, to a uh, an e-commerce marketing rockstar summit where uh, some of the people who I admire have you know happened to be speaking at, and uh, I got asked to speak about retention, right? And uh, so loyalty programs, right? If we're going to dive into retention, I believe that loyalty programs are by definition retention programs, right? And you and I belong to many. We might not be so easily, um, we, we might not be able to list every single one because there are those loyalty programs that are subliminal that we belong to and we don't even know it, right? But we all belong to some sort of loyalty program, whether it's a credit card giving you miles or Starbucks giving you points or, uh, you know, an e-commerce brand, you know, where you get to acquire points as you shop and shop more, right? Um, an airline, right? It, loyalty programs are so, so powerful for retention and because of two things. First, they work and they work magnificently for somebody who is data driven as we are nowadays. We all have to be data driven. And, uh, and those data points that we pay the most attention to is lifetime value. Right? How much is one person going to spend with you? Some say it's in a year. I say lifetime because it's called lifetime value, no annual value. But in a lifetime, how much is that person going to expect or, or represents, right? Uh, in dollar signs and uh, an average order value, right? So if we increase an average order value uh, in, tw in 2019, we only increase the average order value for the Shopify brand from 30 to 35 bucks. And that was magnificent. That $5 increase uh, was, was what drove this, uh, this brand to go from 90K in one year to 218 the following year, you know, because of loyalty. So, so putting those two together, lifetime value, it, 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 it rewards the, the frequent buyer and the top spenders, right? When we go in and we have a, you know, a trip and, you know, the person in front of us gets the upgraded hotel room or the, you know, first dips at, you know, finding their seat at, you know, at the airline, we're like, wait a second, what do they do to deserve that, right? We are like, we're immediately comparing. So that's another thing. It does so much to the data, you know, to the numbers, as well as to the human mind. We How want many, to be um... part of something greater than ourselves. We want to be important. We want to be recognized, right? And loyalty programs give that, you know, that VIP, that membership, that club-like feel where you and I feel special. Like, oh, you have a club member? Oh, yeah, come here, sir. And other people don't. So uh, so loyalty programs is what I, it, that's my bread and butter. That is what we build. And we build these tailor-made to what it's going on in that vertical, in that specific Shopify account, in that specific Google Analytics account. What's going on there? How we how can we reward the top spender and incentivize frequent buyers, right? And guess what? It reduces a metric that we're so, so, so um, aware about, cost per acquisition, right? When, when LTV and AOV increase and the cost per acquisition decreases the cost how, per how many transactions right then that is that brands love it because it's you know they don't have to know all these 
mathematical equations to see that the end result is now that they have more frequent buyers, they're buying more, and that they're they're spending less to acquire a new customer. Why? Because it's the, it's, it's the VIP members who are acquiring new customers for you because they get rewarded for that. So now loyalty programs that are tailor-made to increase LTV, AOV, and decrease cost per acquisition, that is my bread and butter. That is what I swim in every single day uh, for brands of all sizes. How, how many transactions um, do you like to see an e-com store for it to be, to make it um, worthy or not worthy, but I, I, to make it worth it? How many transactions do you think that they need to do in their e-commerce store? You know, that, that, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Uh, although I don't count the transactions, I, 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 I would um, look at the, the sales, right? So there's not a necessary number they need to hit. They just need to have some sales, right? For me to go in and say, well, you know what? I mean, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in the best interest to do somebody have a loyalty program if they do, <laughs> uh, if they sell like two, two people a month. You're not really creating any volume, right? Absolutely. So, absolutely. What do you think and, and we've that? tried that. We, we've tried that and we run into walls immediately almost. Well, the, the relationship, the relationship is too close. And so what ends up happening is in, you end up creating a program <clears throat> when there's small volume of people, the intimacy is very high. So you end up having to create a program. And then ever, since it's so high in intimacy, people start complaining very closely and you're like, well, we'll just switch this. And then really you're making a custom thing for that one person. Yes. So to do these type of things, which is true, how, how many, I mean, do you, is hundred items sold a month? What, what do you like to see so that you can get enough people coming through it where it's enough people being your number one buyers and things like that? How yeah. So, 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 he, so here is because, because a lot of our clients, uh, their average, offer value, you know, could, could go from a $300 kit on, on a um, vitamin combo to, uh, you know, a, a lot less than that, right? So what I like to see, what I like to see is at least, at least a brand that is hitting the $10,000 mark, right? I mean, that's not, you know, a lot of these e-commerce brands, if they're, they're taking 25 to 30% profit you know that's 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 you know hitting the you know the average line right so ten thousand dollars is not a whole lot i want to see a brand that is not uh grassroots that is not bootstrapping themselves who is not a startup because hey guess what we love startups i've worked with startups before but they require so much energy time enthusiasm uh money right to push right like now you know you know up, up up a steep hill right that if you let off guess what that rock is gonna you know just smash you so i love startups not because i love working with them but because you know they're the essence of 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 an entrepreneur i support as much as i could you know maybe through an interview maybe through you know some exposure uh, some product, you know, uh, or reviews, that sort of thing. 
But uh, I like to see a brand that's hitting at least $10,000 in sales, right? That tells me there's some skin in the game, right? He or she may have a, you know, maybe a credit card, you know, to, 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 to allocate some funds. And now there's a little bit of a fire. It might not be a, a, a huge fire, but there's a little bit of fire that I can come with my uh, jet engine um, fuel and spray it. And that fire is going to increase. Why? Because if we do things right, if I'm sold on the on the company's values, and he or she are also sold on my processes, right? And they're coachable. Then, then that's when uh, the magic uh, happens, and we can take a ten thousand dollar, you know, a month to and above. And I don't, I don't like to throw, you know, all these. You know, we will ten x your sales. Uh, but, uh, but, but chances are that that will become profitable for the brand and for us as well. You know, we take pride on the, on data, right? Uh, not smoke and mirrors. And when we get to capture this data and, and present it in a conference as a case study, guess what? That's what people want to see. And one case study can turn into 10 hot leads that you get to handpick which ones you're going to work with. So very, very keen on that. Very cool, man. So how do uh, people find you, Danny? Oh, man, people find me all the internet. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I took a step back from, you know, being so omnipresent, right? So that, you know, that kind of diluted my efforts. I want to be in TikTok. I'm not even on, I'm probably on TikTok with an account, but I'm not, um, I'm not there. I don't have, don't, don't look for me on TikTok. Uh, I am online, dannymonson.com. You know, that has been, you know, my, my domain because guess, guess what? Companies come and go. My name is probably going to stay the same for a while. Uh, so dannymonzone.com and here on Facebook, um, that's, that's where I hang out, live and play. Appreciate it, man. Well, appreciate you being on the, uh, moved entrepreneur evolved podcast specialists in automations and in retention. And this is awesome, man. Thanks a lot for being here. Appreciate it. Today's episode. Remember to like and subscribe. Also remember to go back. There's amazing guests that have been on this podcast. Be sure to check that out as well and like those podcasts as well. Thanks a lot, Danny, for coming on. Take care. Jason, everybody. thank you so much. Until next time. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.